0: We only owe allegiance to you. Remember, you can also send me a tweet at E-G-B-E-R-T-O-W-I-L-L-I-E-S. That is at Egberto Willis. Let us engage. It is Politics Done Right. Welcome to Politics Done Right from the studios of KPFT 90.1 FM Houston, your community radio station. We have a great program for you today. Well, today we have Devon J. Hall, who is a writer, blogger out of Canada, member of the writers and editors of uh, Color uh, New Organization that uh, is really trying to get everybody involved in uh, writing with a passion and unabashedly with your own beliefs. Anyhow, um, we're gonna have a great show for you today. Uh, We we specifically have uh, Heidi Heitkamp recently on uh, This Week really put El Senor Cristi in his place, who tried to give the impression that, hey, blue states are somehow, by having higher taxes than red states, somehow, wanting to take advantage of the red states, it turns out that in as much as blue states have higher taxes because they take better care of their people in, in the aggregate, they also take better care of people in the red state because guess what? Those people in the red states, they are dependent. They are on the dole. I'm not talking to people in the states. I'm talking about the government have made themselves on the, put themselves on the dole. These Republican governments have put themselves on the dole meaning that the blue states are taking care of the red states and then they have the nerve to talk about taxes. Well, it seems like, hey, uh, they should do something about that if they were so worried about it. Well, Norm Ornstein, also, we have a piece with him where he discusses the state of the Republican Party and he puts it into the appropriate perspective. I think you'd like that. Chuck Todd, also, we, we have a clip from Chuck Todd. Chuck Todd is going to for a change, not create false equivalencies. Well, he, he kind of didn't create false equivalencies, uh, which the mainstream media have a tendency to do with the Republican Party and the Democratic Party. So, uh, we have to make sure we get around that fallacy, if you will. Now, uh, and, and lastly, I give a little detail on the infrastructure uh, bill, both the physical infrastructure bill and what we also like to call the human infrastructure bill, because as it turns out, we have all seen this type of game played before. Where, in, in fact, during Obama's time, Democrats were the most dominant—60 seats in the Senate. It was a filibuster-proof thing, but still, we had problems getting through the policies that most Americans said they wanted. We still had problems getting through the policies that support us all. Folks, we have to start and come to the understanding that there are always a select few in the Democratic Party who is on the dole to the corporatocracy and is not there to serve our needs. And our job going forward 2022, 2024, 2026, 2028 is to extricate them out of the party. But again, we're going to have a great show for you. You can get Politics Done Right Mondays through Fridays on Facebook Live at Facebook.com slash Politics Done Right. On YouTube Live at Politics Done Right dot com slash YouTube. Please do not forget to follow me on Twitter for updates. My handle is at Egberto Willies, at E G B E R T O W I L L I E S. Before you get started, please remember to keep your community radio station in your minds KPFT in your minds talk about it tell your friends about it tell them you know about this station in town 90.1 FM Houston that needs your support that is there to provide what that nour- nourishment that we need 713-526-5738 kpft.org visit us online contribute online KPFT. FM you can visit us at kpft.org you know how we do this we like to say let's get busy because we got a lot to talk about today Heidi Heitkamp handed Chris Christie his you know what on a platter it had to do with the SALT tax, the, the state taxes that uh, are deductible from your federal income tax. And uh, But anyhow, I want you to listen to this. But I want to dispel the fallacy that Trump and Christie and all these Republicans have about northern states and their taxation, etc. Let's listen to this and then we'll go ahead and take it on the other side. Very, very important you <sharp inhale>
1: You have to evaluate this in the context of not just the daycare provisions, but also the pre-K provisions. And we can argue about whether we should federalize the regulation of pre-K, which I think Senator Cassidy talked about. But this bill clearly is targeted towards working families. And that's what we need to do. We need to send a message that we're about helping working families. And let me tell you, there's a lot of people deferring having children today in America because they can't afford daycare. They can't afford to raise children. We've got to turn that around today. Thank you. And I want to oh, just say about the SALT tax. I want to say about the SALT tax. It is cumulative with the income tax. So to say, oh, you know, the average is 6000 What, your income tax in New Jersey is pretty darn high too. Yeah. And you add that to it. Well, and and this is going to help a lot of middle class sure. families. And we're, we can argue, Chris, about whether it should be eighty grand or whether it should be fifty grand. But I think that there's a lot of uh, middle class families who are going to benefit in those blue states you, you, for the Well, cap. of course, your uh, subsidy in blue states the decisions of blue state governors and legislators to continue yeah. to raise their and, taxes. And, and that's if you, what you're doing, yeah, I, but so if you go that's okay. This, you want to do that? Yeah, that's fine. But yeah. what you're doing is you're saying that higher taxes at the state level and at the local level are going to be forgiven in New Jersey and, by people in South yeah, Dakota. And those people, those people who pay those taxes in New Jersey subsidize southern t- states who get more federal assistance than, it, uh, than northern ver- states. It's not so-
0: that is a very important concept that I want to get over first. Let's clear that. Red states, States run by Republicans, Southern states, they are beggar states. They are welfare states. They take more out of the federal government than they put in. The gall of Chris Christie to claim that because Northern states have higher taxes, that somehow they are being subsidized by paying less taxes to the federal government, even though they, New Jersey, New York... They take out less from the federal government than Kentucky and all of that. In fact, they pay more than they take out. Kentucky pays less than they take out. Kentucky is a debtor state to the federal government. Alabama, Mississippi, all of them are debtor states. They are welfare states. They are beggar states. Let's get that correctly first. No northern governor, no red, blue state governor should allow any of these guys to get away by because they undertax their rich people in their states and then beg the federal government for more money. But let's go into Build Back Better because what the Republicans are going to try to do and they are already doing it is trying to put uh, the Democrats and progressives on the defensive for Build Back Better. And if Democrats and progressives allow that, they are they will be silly, silly to allow that to occur. Go fighting. Go in with an attack for Build Back Better. Go in and ask these people, why aren't they supporting that which supports the people in their own states? Why aren't they supporting giving their their citizens child care? Why aren't they supporting giving their citizens family leave? Why aren't they supporting all these issues that Build Back Better supports and that most Americans as well support? It is imperative That you go ahead from a position of strength, something that I find Democrats are not doing sufficiently right now. And they're allowing the hypocrisy of Chris Christie and other conservatives to come and let them believe somehow they are not doing their part or somehow their way, their ideology, their, their policies are better. Their policies are killing people. And it is important that you use the graphic languages. Your health policies are murdering people. The state legislature of Texas by not accepting the Medicaid expansion to the Affordable Care Act or killing people. We have to get the language straight. It has to do with what the Republican Party has become. And I think Norm Ornstein, who is one of, those, um, one of those guys that are pretty straightforward all of the times, he had something to say about that. So here's Norm Ornstein. <laughs>
1: The fact is that the entire leadership of this party, and that includes Mitch McConnell, who is a slightly more benign version, is doing nothing to put any guardrails around the people who are uh, supporting a violent insurrection. And we're seeing this play out uh, outside of Washington as well, including the alarming actions by Robin Voss and the leaders of the Wisconsin legislature trying to hijack the election process. Honestly, it's not a party. It's a cult And we have to be utterly alarmed at the direction that this is taking. We can't survive as a country without a viable two-party system. And if we don't have leaders willing to stand up to this uh, set of violent responses, and Kevin McCarthy is pathetic in that respect, we're in deep, deep trouble.
0: We are in deep trouble. What he's trying to explain to us is that the nation a lot of people don't, uh, you know, Do you have you ever felt that you're watching somebody, a friend of yours, you love this friend, and you're constantly trying to help this friend, but you're constantly watching them self-destruct, and there's nothing you can do about it. How many of you feel that way about the country? But the only difference is this. You, can, you know who the perpetrators are. You know who the protagonist of this entire thing is, or protagonists, plural, are. It's the media, it's a, it's, a, it's a plutocratically paid media, meaning media paid by the oligarchy, as well as politician paid by the oligarchy, all ganging up on the American people. Well, Chuck Todd woke up today again, and he actually gave a pretty darn good interview with Tate Reese, the uh, governor of Mississippi. I, here's the deal, and I get a, a, a question. These guys don't get tired of being not only hypocritical, silly, but illogical and death-causing. I want you to listen to this interview, then we'll go ahead and take it on the other side, because I think it's going to make a lot of people think.
2: I want to play something that you said about the vaccine mandate uh, and ask you why it doesn't, why the same philosophy doesn't apply here. Let me play what you said. This is a power grab by the federal government. We've seen this time and time again by the Biden administration. And now we're seeing their strong desire to try to make decisions on behalf of individual Americans. We believe in freedom and individual liberty. Freedom and individual liberty. Why should... The state of Mississippi tell a woman um, uh, what they should do with their body. Why shouldn't they have that, that individual freedom uh, to, uh, on their body, particularly in the first uh, 20 weeks? Well, this is a prime example, and, and the far left uh, loves to scream, my body, my choice. And what I would submit to you, Chuck, is they absolutely ignore the fact that in getting an abortion, there is an actual killing of an innocent unborn child that is in that womb. Here's what we know about babies that are 15 weeks. We know that they have a heartbeat. We know that those babies at 15 weeks actually can open and close their hands. We know that they have developing lungs. And we know that those babies at 15 weeks can feel pain. And so when you talk, the, the difference between vaccine mandates and abortions is vaccines allow you to protect yourself. Abortions actually go in and kill other American babies. And let's just put this in perspective. But Governor, Chuck. vaccines are not about the yourself. Vacc- is, Governor, hang on a minute. A vaccine is about protecting a larger community. A vaccine is about presenting, preventing spread. You could argue a vaccine mandate is a pro-life position. You could certainly argue that, Chuck, but even if you listen to Dr. Fauci's interview with you earlier today, he made it very clear that the vaccine may not keep you from getting the virus. It may not keep you from spreading the virus, but it can keep you from ending up in the hospital. That's what's been proven during this Delta surge that we've seen in uh, in America is that the virus is continuing to be spread even amongst those who are vaccinated. I mean,
0: I don't know if he didn't realize that he just made Chuck Todd's position. The vaccine prevents you from having to stay in the hospital. It prevents you from dying, a pro-life position. If you don't have people vaccinated, many more will die, a pro-life position. But let's get to the the, the case with a a woman's uh, choice with her own body. You know, we don't have a clear definition of who decides when life begins. But I have another question for Republicans who are always objecting to policies that feed kids, policies that give kids other things to do, policies that extend their lives, prevent them from dying. Why? Because they don't have other alternatives, but they never want to invest in policies that save the lives. Yet they go around the place saying, we are pro-life. No, they're not ever pro-life. They're always been pro-death. I mean, from the inception of this country, those who are, who call themselves Republicans now, I'm talking about politicians, that's who they are. But, you know, secondly, Tate, Recently, Jackson, Mississippi, their water system is in shambles, yet he says to the mayor or to somebody else in there, they need to pay their water bills. They don't have their water bills paid because their are meter problems, etc. cetera, but he's willing for them to have bad water and die. Or is that a pro-life position? Don't they matter? I think one should consider that if you believe, you believe, you believe a twenty, a 10-week or 15-week a uh, fetus is a living being, and you don't you want to protect them. Shouldn't you want to protect those people that are living right now? Those people that are living next to chemical plants, which you don't want regulations to protect those people from dying. Should they be protecting the water systems in this country to prevent kids from getting or developing mercury-based illnesses, etc., etc., etc.? Let's get this straight. This has nothing to do about a body. It has everything to do about a man's power over a woman's body. It has everything to do with having different degrees of control over others so that ultimately you can be in full control. This has nothing to do with life. The Republican politicians have already proven that they care nothing about living people who don't have means. Let's get that clear. Chuck Todd did a a good job in giving us that option to expand on the stupidity of what everything is that the Republican tenets are right now. I've seen this play before. This is nothing new. And let me be clear right up front. This is not a vlog to bash Democrats at all. In fact, The vast majority of Democrats, the progressives, and many of the moderates, they are in the deal. They want to see Build Back Better come to fruition and not just the hardware infrastructure bill. But I've seen this act before. Democrats are in full control of this process. So therefore, if this process fails, It's not the fault of Republicans. Republicans will remain the intransigent, don't care about humanity, fighting for the rich party incessantly. That's their modus operandi. But we have a party. There is a party that supposedly is there to support the middle class, the poor. And it's all in their power to do so. I've seen this. Before. And it, it's ironic because it is taking the same two-step process. To be clear, I am pretty darn sure, assuming none of our very old 80-something-year-old senators die, assuming none of the other Democratic senators get a heart attack or something, this bill, the Bill Back Bitter bill, will pass. The question is, what in that bill will pass? How effective will that bill be? But let's go back a few years. Let's go back to 2010. And I want to show you a headline. Because this is very important. This headline says, uh, Senate, let's get it on the screen. Senate Democrats drop the public option to woo Lieberman and liberals how? Okay? In other words, we had... A Democratic senator, Senator Lieberman, holding the Affordable Care Act, Obamacare, hostage if they decided to put a public option in. If they decided to allow health care, a Medicare buy-in to people 54, uh, six, between the years of 54 and 66. So it wasn't Republicans holding back. Obamacare. It wasn't the Republicans saying, we don't want this bill because we know they didn't want the bill, but we had in the 20, 2009 and 2010, we had a 60 Senate, uh, which means a filibuster proof Senate, and it was a Democrat who said, "We are not going to get this bill passed if we put in the full set of support, humane supports for Americans." So we had to drop the public option in those days many of us progressives as we blogged as we preached as we went on to cnni reports as we did all these features we said drop the if you drop the public option why have a bill in effect it's another giveaway once again to the insurance companies now look to be clear obamacare saved my life i got screening that i would not have gotten if Obamacare hadn't been there, we were able to continue affording ever elevating prices of insurance because Obamacare put some, some limits in there. But the constant growth of healthcare continued, not because uh, Democrats did a bad job, because one Democrat, several or a very few Democrats decided they were not going to support the public options or policies that would make it better and prevent the pharmaceutical companies, prevent the, the uh, hospital companies, prevent the insurance companies from screwing us all. They had their defenders. Uh, uh, the Republicans weren't going to do anything, but they had their defenders in the Democratic Party who pretty much went against their own people. And when I say their own people, I'm not just talking Democrats. I'm talking about Americans. And here comes... Another headline. That headline continues. Why Joe Lieberman is holding back? Why is Joe Lieberman holding back? Barack Obama's he's holding Barack Obama ransom over health care. In other words, do it my way or the highway, he said. And in the process of fighting for all these changes, you know what happened? Senator Kennedy dies. Senator Kennedy dies. We no longer have a, a filibuster-proof majority. So therefore, we revert to exactly what we have today, and that is passing the second passing the bill that the Senate came up with that progressives didn't want, but they had no option. So they were extorted into accepting the Senate version of the bill which they had no choice. They had to do it. And then picked up on something known that we are all familiar with now, reconciliation, which changed and added a few things that they could could agree on, that they could get 51 votes, democratic votes for, to get it passed into law, the portions that needed change, which included education, loans, etc., etc., etc. But the process here is this. When Democrats are offered the full context of working for their people, there are always a few that continue to be controlled by a plutocracy that pretty much says, we're going to give you some, but we are still in control. And even though our, our, our slaves in the Republican Party are not there to save us, we have a few wrenches to throw because we have enough democrats on our payroll that won't allow you democrats to get the job done now let's rewind into 2021 you notice the title of this blog that i have now is the two infrastructure bills may be a worse capitulation than the two obamacare bills remember the obamacare bill was passed in two pieces as well some people like to say, oh, the Obamacare wasn't passed on reconciliation. Damn it, it was passed on reconciliation. Because we had to make the fixes to the Senate bill to make it more humane using, the, uh, using that reconciliation process. We had to do it. There was no choice. Now, here is a similar headline. The similar headline, Joe Manchin, and it says mansion puts paid family leave medicare vouchers on spending bill chopping block in other words another democrat is holding one democrat is holding build back better hostage he's trying to come up with every kind of excuse oh it may with inflation rising it may cause inflation of course 16 emeritus Economists said it will reduce inflation or at best leave it as is because again The bill is virtually paid for then he says no, we don't want family leaves How can we add family leave when Social Security could go bankrupt when Medicare could go bankrupt? They don't have to we just have to start Stop allowing rich people to not pay Social Security taxes on all of their incomes you allow that to occur suddenly We are awashed in Social Security money. Suddenly, we are awashed in Medicare money. But no, most Americans don't know these features that rich people don't pay pass a hundred and something thousand dollars of their income in social security most americans don't know that those people who get capital gains they don't pay that high tax rates that you get that would bring the monies into the coffers to allow us to have build back better on steroids they don't know that they think that somehow these rich people who actually is pilfering our money because that money doesn't belong to them it is our excess labor that they're spending it's what they didn't pay us that is their wealth and joe manchin is saying you know what you know what i am not willing to charge those people who already are living on your backs a penny more so that if you have a kid You can stay home longer so that if you have a sick mother, a sick father, a sick daughter, a sick anything that you can take care of that person, knowing that you have a social safety net that is there to assist you because that is what's known as humane. That is what's known as a society. That is the definition of society. But our economic system, our unfettered capitalistic economic system says to hell with that. And we will have somebody in every party, Joe Manchin, Christian cinema, in the Democratic Party to hold you hostage. You can't move till we say you can, till we allow you to move. So again, I've seen this game before. And right now, I hate to tell all my progressive brethren, we are locked in this game right now. There's no escape for this game right now, because yes, it's worse in the case of Obamacare. We didn't Obamacare had sixty votes, so we could lose fifty-nine votes later on. We could lose a few, but if one of our octogenarian dies or gets sick we lose the Senate. If we piss off Joe Manchin too badly, he makes Mitch McConnell the speaker. We're between a rock and a hard place. So how do we get out of this? We are gonna have to take what we can get for now, but come 2022, we're gonna have to defy everything that you hear on TV. I want you to remember what is geometric progression. I want you to remember the word grassroots i want you to remember how to talk to your neighbor and i'm not talking about talking to your liberal and progressive neighbor i'm talking about speaking to all of the people whom you know and explain to them not to like you not to like liberals not to like progressives not to hate others express to them that Working together is the only way, supporting policies together is the only way either one of you would do good. You're not looking for a friend. You're looking for an ally. You're looking for somebody who understands that Joe Manchin is no friend to either Republican or Democrat. You're looking to someone to understand that the plutocracy is the enemy of us all. And that the only way for us to get what we want is not only demand what we want, but elect people who have no fear, no fear in having these guys dangle hundreds of thousands of dollars in front of them and say, you don't do what we want. We'll give this to your opponent. Do you think they could ever tell that to Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez? She defies the system by saying, I am not going to use the type of funding that you guys use. I'll develop my funding. Grassroots. We can look at uh, Ilan Omar. We can look at all these other folks that are starting to create this new paradigm where they are no longer, no longer warrants of the plutocracy. Folks, we're going to have to work this on a two-tier process. The first one, geometric progression. Make sure you talk to 10, 20 people and ask each one of those to talk to 10, 20 people. Geometric progression says we'll have the whole damn country in a few weeks. This can be done. This has got to be done. We cannot allow the plutocracy to simply hold on to a few people to hold the entire country hostage. It's in your hands. As you know, we bring folks from all over to be on our show. And I met this young woman at one of our meetups online, Woke. And the assertiveness with which she spoke, the encouragement with which she gave others to do right in, is something that I thought was transformative. And not only that, it actually helps those of us who are trying to make a change. In America politically, that is during, during our, with our activism. But anyhow, without further ado, founder of Loudmouth Brown Girl and a member of Education, Devon J. Hall. Welcome to Politics Done Right. How are you doing today?
3: I'm so good. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate being here. Well, look, one of the reasons that I wanted to have you is um, you
0: know, we 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 hear guests on all these different online platforms, writers, etc., talking. And you are a writer. And uh, what I enjoyed with what you had to bring is something that you told writers, you told them to be unabashedly be themselves. And I want to relate that towards our political climate. Why don't you tell me exactly what you meant by that? In
3: 1999, Literally everybody in the world was listening to Prince's We're Going to Party Like It's 1999. That song in that year was the biggest song in the history of time, right? And there's never going to be another song that encapsulates so many decades because it was written years before 1999. And then something happened in 2000, politically, economically, sociologically, with our entire society, no matter where you are in the world. Things shifted in monumental ways. Suddenly, LGBTQ were not being quiet anymore. Suddenly, AIDS was a conversation we were having. Suddenly, race was a conversation we were having again. Disability, sexism. Um, We were talking about mental health. We were talking about PTSD. We were talking about war. We were having big conversations. And we weren't sitting in our homes having those big conversations with our families and our neighbors. We were doing it online. Right, and so the 2000s have been a very weird decade. Like this, we're only we just hit 2020, and we're we're entering into 2022, and things are like all of a sudden the kids that were kids in the 90s are adults, kind of like chickens with their heads cut off, going, "What do we do? How do we do it? What do what do we do? We have all this access to all this information, which is bringing in light all of these emotions, because." Every single thing that we see from George Floyd to um, Breonna Taylor to Ahmed Arbery, all of these things are big, right? These are not little conversations. These are highly packed with emotions and highly packed with responses, 7 billion responses around the world. And so the only way to combat what we're seeing and to stay sane is to be honest and authentic about what we're saying that we see. Right? You don't have to agree with somebody else's perception, but you have to be honest with what you are seeing and with how you convey what you are seeing. And you cannot do that if you are not your true self.
0: Now, henceforth, you became a writer or you are a writer. Uh, tell us a little bit about the genesis of Loud Mouth Brown Girl and what exactly is a Loud Mouth Brown Girl? <laughs>
3: Well, you asked me not to say the F-word, so I cannot give you the exact quote, but in 2017, um, I was arrested on an airplane for having a panic attack, and I was very scared to come home. Um, as you heard in my talk on Sunday, um, I had been abused a lot, and my brain had kind of hidden the mo- those memories, and on the plane ride home, the trip had been so overtly awful, Um I was walking with a group of white people to a bar and a white woman who lived in Winnipeg where we were stopped me. She put her hand up. She stopped me and she looked at me and she went, you're black. And I looked around at all my friends that I was at the conference with. And I said, did you guys know I was black? And like, we walked in and we joked about it and they were all white people. I was just all white people. And we were joking about the fact like, oh my God, you're black. Like, that's like, how did that happen? But inside, I just kind of died a little bit because nobody had ever said that to me before. It wasn't what she had said. It was the way she had said it. Like this white woman qualifying my blackness. Like, yes, I'm fully aware. I'm 36, I'm 35 years old and black for a while. Like, why is it shocking to you to see me? And I was in a town where the very first church, St. John's Church, was built by a freed American slave. And his name is John. He um, he crossed over through the Underground Railroad to the University of New Brunswick, and he built a church to say thank you to the community that had fed him and given, given him a place to be. And over the years, that history had been forgotten deliberately and neglected. And so there was a lot of racism that I was dealing with as the only Black person in this conference. It was very stressful. So coming home, it was like, oh, my God, if I leave my home Then I have to face a world that is shocked and surprised I exist because I'm a black girl, but I'm a light-skinned black girl. And if I come home, I have to deal with years and years and years of undealt with childhood sexual trauma. I'm in an airplane and I'm terrified of heights and I'm in a rock and a hard place. And so I had the panic attack. I was screaming. I was yelling. The cop called me a loudmouth brown B-I-T-C-H. And I got angry. As a black girl in Canada, being isolated, being alone, not having a support system of other colored girls, I was pissed. So I told him I was going to make it the loudest, most angry brown girl brand in the world. And that is now what I am on the way to do. And I screamed that at him too. I was like, you're going to regret this because this is going to be the biggest brown girl brand. And you are never going to forget how you treated me. And no one is ever going to trust you because they are going to know you're the cop that treated me this way. And you don't know who I am now, but you will one day. And here we go five years in, in January. And I'm, I'm I'm making strides to that becoming a reality. Now, where is home? Home is um, British Columbia. It's where I live. I was born in Calgary. Um, and we Canadians joke that Canada is the Texas of Calgary. It's very rural. A lot of oil people, a lot of like the oil industry is kind of the main industry out there. So it's very comparable to Texas in terms of ideology and it's very religious, um, religious based and lots of different sects of of culture and race and creeds and nationalities.
0: Now, you know, people uh, in the United States usually have a tendency to believe that when it comes to racial issues, that Canada is, is quite a bit different <laughs> than the United States. So <laughs> enlighten me.
3: There is this lie that parents tell their kids in Canada, right? Uh, eat your dinner because there are kids in Africa who are starving. Or if you travel anywhere in the world and you have a Canadian flag, people will trust you more because you're not Canadian, you're not American. And we tell ourselves these lies because we want to believe that we are the best, right? America is the best country in the world if you want to follow the American dream and make money. But Canada is the nicest country. And I think that that's bullcrap. I think it's junk. I think that um, this idea that Canada is somehow filled with like nice, happy people. We have poverty. We have hunger. We have drug addiction. We have childhood abuse. We have trauma. We have uh, like 350 years of Indigenous children being taken from their homes and their lives destroyed and decimated by racism. No, it ain't easier out here. The perception is that it's easier because that's what you see. You see Degrassi and you think, oh, my God, life in Canada is like so eat. No, man.
0: I love Degrassi. Are you going to bust my Degrassi bubble?
3: Degrassi growing up was my thing. Okay, I met the original cast of the original show and I got to hug Joey Jeremiah and it was the best day of my life.
0: Drake was on Degrassi, too. Now
3: I don't care about Drake. No, I will say, though, that in the later years of Degrassi, what you saw in those storylines was a lot closer to what kids today are dealing with.
0: Well, they got more graphic at the end. I remember that they did. They did explore other, including racing, explored a whole lot of stuff on Degrassi eventually.
3: Well, they had Drake's character got shot. They had teen, like in the 1980s, there was no show talking about teen pregnancy, LGBTQ, Um, which show um, Beverly Hills 90210. And The other one with Heather Locklear, I can't remember the name of it, Malrose Place, those shows were based on Degrassi, right? So if you're looking at a show like Degrassi and you're thinking, oh, Canada's life is so idealized, you're not listening to the messages that we're trying to show you. And the creators of that show, they worked really hard for like 30 to 40 years to make sure that people understand we're not doing this because it's an entertaining thing. We want to show teenagers getting shot or having babies. We're doing it because that's what's happening in Canada. In
0: Canada as well, yeah. Yeah. Now, um, l- let's talk about your writing. Now, you you went ahead and you formed this um, this your 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 own writing domain, if you will, where people write for you, do your own writings, etc. Um, how did you go about doing that? What made you? want to go ahead and keep it going because everybody says when they're pissed off, you're going to hear about me, but you continued to do it. And not only that, you wanted to empower others to do it. Explain.
3: Easy. You podcasters just ask like the easiest questions. (laughs) Um, I think about this a lot and I talked about it on Sunday, but it's when it, it depending on how the question is framed, it's, it, the answer is always a little bit different. Um, I think one of the reasons that I wanted to keep it going is because Loudmouth Brown Girl is like a, a really marketable brand. You hear that and you think that's sexy, right? Like you think empowered women, you think white women, Chinese women, Jewish women, Black women, brown. To me, I am brown-skinned, Right. But in woke, there are women that are Chinese. There are women that are Portuguese. There are women that are Jewish. There are women from all over the world, Palestinia or sorry, Palestine, um, Jerusalem. And so for me, the word brown is subjective because brown is a mixture of different colors. It's a mixture of different things. And when I thought about it in year two, it was like, okay, I can continue being pissed off, but I kind of like I'm over it. Like it happened, it sucked. And I'm I dealt with it what could I do with this? That would be really cool. And okay, I realized, like, I'm not really going like
0: to let you continue since I asked such easy question. I'm going to make this one difficult for you now that now that you have gone on to that. What did you learn? What did you learn from that experience to promote to others, to make them want to grow into the type of writing that, you know, we need to have out there?
3: Well, again, um, I like making money, right? That's Mm -hmm. fun for me. But when I'm able to combine my writing with like, oh, cool. I just got paid for a speaking engagement. That is that it's not the money part of it. It's the feeling like I just got paid to do what I love to do. That's so cool. And that was the one thing like my grandpa was a jerk, but that was the one thing that he always said, find something you love and then find a way to make money at it. And repeat that.
0: I'm sorry, you have got to repeat that because a lot of people need (laughs) to hear that because that is so right. Uh, I'm not, this is your interview, so I won't tell my personal story, but you go ahead and repeat that, please.
3: Find something you love and then find a way to make money at it. Do it first, right? Like when I did Loudmouth Brown Girl the first year, I didn't make any money. I wasn't focused on making money. I was focused on telling my story. But the second year, it was like, what could I do with this? What could I create? Well, I always wanted to be a fashion designer. Like I I have visions of women, big, beautiful, sexy, gorgeous women and men for that matter in all colors, all sizes, wearing my hoodies and a pair of sexy panties. That is my fashion show dream. So what do I do? I go and I start creating images to put on T-shirts and hoodies. In the prospect that one day I will have a show that will make Brianna's last show, which was amazing, look like a piece of cake. Like, I I have dreams and I want to make those dreams come true. And by doing something that I love and focusing on the fact that I love doing it, I love talking about racism. I love putting white people in their place. I love saying, yo, you have to listen to me because I've earned the right to share my voice. I love doing all of that because then I can go and I can do the fashion design stuff. I can play with my cats. I can walk when I, am I broke? Hell yes. I am completely broke, but I'm happy. And I've never been happy before.
0: And and your your entire income now comes from loudmouth brown girl and it's and, and, and
3: I'm actually on disability. Um, um, I was a, I'm one of those people that falls on the side of the spectrum that like abuse affected me so badly that for me to go get a job where I have to be with other people every day in the middle of a pandemic is not emotionally and mentally feasible for me. You
0: have a country that uh, as bad as you may put, uh, you know, Canada, Canada has a healthcare system that is humane and takes into account the different possibilities that people may have.
3: Here's the thing though. I get money for my rent. Right. And I get money for my medications and my food and my groceries, but I don't get access to therapy, not like the kind of therapy that somebody like me needs. Right. There's one organization in, in my province that deals with people who have been um, sexually tortured and they only deal with refugees because Canada doesn't think that that stuff happens here to Canadians. That's- so it's catch 22, right? I get some things for free, but other things I have to work a lot harder to find access to.
0: Well, you know, again, uh, like I said, there, there are certain benefits that you have in Canada, that Americans don't, first of That's all, true. don't know it's afforded and that they they yearn for. And uh, now, but I, I imagine in the long run, the intent is that loudmouth brown girl, given that you'll be able to do that localized, that that will eventually get you to be a completely independent person and bringing other people on. on That's the, the
3: hope. That's the hope, because I want Loudmouth Brown Girl to be an umbrella company. I want to have the fashion side. Right. But I also want to be able to provide services like therapy and medical help for people like me who don't have access to what they need. I know what I am missing in my life. And if I can take Loudmouth Brown Girl to the place where I can provide what I'm missing out on for other people that's when I know that it has been a success. Isn't that
0: something that people uh, used to call paying it forward? Yes, sir. And, you know, I mean, there's something that I, I heard... had a
3: lot of people help me on my in my last four years. I did not do this alone. I understand. So... And, and,
0: and that's one of the, the things that I wanted to, 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 to mention. Um, a lot of people think that those people that are, quote unquote, on the dole are useless as opposed to seeing it's a building block that they will eventually use to get ahead and then pay it forward. A lot of folks don't quite get it. And I mean, if we could teach humanity to more people would see, nobody wants to be on the dole, do they?
3: It's not fun, man. Like I would much rather be like, yo, I got 20 grand in my bank account. I'm going shopping. (laughs) instead of like, I got eight bucks in my my bank account, I'm buying Roman for like the next 20 days we had um we did a guy uh, we didn't do a guy we had a man a gentleman who was a an mla in our local community he lived on welfare for 30 days and or well we you call it welfare we call it social assistance but it was the program was called mla on welfare for 30 days and i think if you google it you can find his blog of his journey but he stayed in homeless shelters he ate soup He was only allowed to eat what was given to him at the shelter, and he was only allowed to carry with him what he could carry, which is what he got from the shelters. And at the end of it, he turned around and he said, that's not enough money. That's not enough money. Between rent and food, there was nothing else. There was nothing So he couldn't go out and have dinner. He couldn't go to a movie. He couldn't do any of these things that normal people do to break up steam and to break up the day and the monotony of of trying to just survive, right? And yet still, people like me, like, once I pay my bills, which... I'm lucky that my, my bills are about $300 a month, but once I pay those, I've only got a couple hundred dollars left and that money has to go to groceries. It has to go to my cannabis, which helps me stay sane. And then my cats. And then that's it. Like there's nothing extra. There's no fancy shoes. There's no parties. There's no like popping champagne bottles at the strip club. That doesn't happen when you're on disability. And so this is, this image that we have of people living on disability or living on welfare or social assistance, having these big grand parties and hanging out at hotel rooms, that does not happen.
0: Well, I mean, the, 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 goal, the goal is really to, um, to stereotype something, to give good people yeah. that would otherwise help people at their hardest time feel that that it isn't worth helping them. That That's the whole idea.
3: That we, is it exactly. Yeah. And the thing is, is like what you said earlier, like it can be, being on disability can be a building block to a better future. J.K. Rowling did it. She yeah. was on welfare and she's a freaking billionaire now. Right? This, so this, like, and you know what? And, and it's that possible, is what, but you have to have a support system. And if you're is homeless and you're like addicted yours. to drugs, you don't have a support system.
0: That is why it is important for us to get writers of every flavor. And one of the reasons I'm trying to, uh, you know, with this, just joining this, this group woke, I'm hoping to get a lot of different voices, uh, the opportunity to put their voice out there as well, is that hearing these different voices, hearing these different points of view, I think kind of help people. Like, like I said, if you sell something as somebody like, like people living on a dole, it doesn't sell well if you if you look at it as given a hand giving somebody a hand when they need it who will eventually pay it forward then i think it makes a lot of sense and if you listen to your words if you listen to what you want to do that's exactly what you want to do pay it forward okay let's get busy as for to close this out with um specifically um what would you tell an up and coming writer an up and coming activist i call writers are also activists i consider you an activist because of you empower others to empower themselves. No I'm matter the so what would you tell a person who's just starting up? I want to do something.
3: Do something then. Do something. Right? Um, when I started the website, I had no marketing budget. I did not have the dot com. I actually went without cannabis and without a bunch of other stuff, like food. For a month so that i could afford to pay for the dot-com for the year right so like i have i have sacrificed for this website um i made a thousand love letters by hand and i can show you i have a bunch here right okay the original love letters were in really pretty paper they had butterflies and stickers and they were all blinged out these ones are really simple and they just have Um, They have the original logo in the butterfly and I went to parties. I went to celebrations. I went to parades. I handed out my love letters and I said, check my website. And when people got a love letter, I want to read you. I'm going to pick a random one and I'm going to read it to you. So you understand what it meant to get a love letter from the loudmouth brown girl. Okay. So this is a random letter that has not been given out. Thank you for being the kind of person who stands up for others. The fact that you're reading this letter means that you needed to know your hard work has been noticed. You matter to me. Love, Devin J. Hall. Um, Here's another one. We are fighting for the future you have planned. Don't give up. You are a star in the making. Every time it hurts, remember that it's all going to be worth it. So all, some of them, one of them even said, um, go smoke a joint. And the woman that opened the letter That's all it said. She looked at it. She started howling. She still follows me. (laughs) She says, you know me, like, you know me. And so all of these letters were written with the intention of promoting my website. But it was also stuff like that. I wanted to hear that I had never heard from people before. Right. These are all letters that were written to myself, to my inner child that I threw out into the world in hopes that people would come to the site and see what I am doing. If you want to do something, do it. Just figure out what it is you want to do that only you can. A million people could go write love letters and that would be amazing. You should all go do that. But only one person can write the love letters that I would write.
0: Absolutely. So, well, uh, Devin, there there is a last question I ask every one of the people that I interview and it goes as follows. What would you have liked me to ask you that I didn't?
3: Oh, that's a good question. Um, I would like to see you talk more about cannabis on your show. Yeah. I really would. We're talking politics. We're talking racism. We're talking mental health. And I think that cannabis and things like psilocybin, certain specific Uh, medications are out there and they're not being educated about enough and I could introduce you to a whole bunch of educators that'll take you through the science and that will show you all the things and I think that it's an important thing that we talk about because 20s the the, the 2020s have been rough y'all 2010 was kind of like a little bit bumpy, but 2020s have been rough and we need something. And I don't think that alcohol is going to get us through the next decade. I think we need to start exploring more natural, more um, earth based medications to help provide us with that little bit of boost. And so that's what I'd like to see you discuss more. I'd like to see a little bit more, a little more mental health aid.
0: Well, look, like uh, I tell all my listeners, this show belongs to. Everyone that listens to the show we have we have thousands of listeners. we have hun- actually several hundred supporters, and it all belongs to everybody. So if you would like a subject covered produce a produce a show, and we'll absolutely do it. I'm here with Devin J. Hall, founder of Loud Mouth Brown Girl. It's been my pleasure to have you and thank you for the uplifting voice that you that you carry. On your site, thank you for the uplifting voice that you carry around in the different organizations that you're a member of. And uh, you stay strong.
3: You too, my friend. Thank you.
0: You can get Politics Done Right Mondays through Fridays on Facebook Live at facebook.com slash politics right. On YouTube Live at politics slash YouTube please do not forget to follow me on twitter for updates my handle is at egberto Willis at e-g-b-e-r-t-o-w-i-l-l-i-e-s that's it folks my name is egberto Willis. this is politics and right and you know how i end this baby i am what out <laughs> Welcome to Politics Done Right. I am your host, Egberto Willis. This is a progressive program that will take the mystery out of politics. This is the program